The gospel appointed for this Sunday comes from Matthew chapter 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. I'm sure we've all had it happen to us before. Or something you said was completely taken out of context and someone totally misread what you meant. Right? And you can think back to more than one time where that's happened to you. Maybe, maybe you were in a conversation with someone and just at that seemingly wrong time, someone walks into the room and they catch you saying something. Wait, what did you just say? That's not what I meant. That's not, no, let me tell you the context of what I said. Right? We, we know how that feels to have our words taken out of context and then judged because of those. You know, we read this lesson here today, and it seems kind of strange to us in many ways, doesn't it? There are some things in here that maybe you raise your eyebrows or say, what? You've got this, this woman who, who wants help from Jesus, and he seemingly pays no attention to her. It says he did not say a word when she is calling out to him for help. I mean, that... It's not the Jesus we know, is it? I mean, Jesus is always ready to help. He's always compassionate and kind and ready to, to help the person who cries out in mercy. Here in this section, he says, I was only sent for the lost sheep of Israel. What he means is, I'm all, I was only sent for the Jews. Well, we, that's not right, is it? I, I mean, isn't it clear from the Bible that Jesus is the Savior of all people? Can that be right? Jesus seems to call her a dog. What, Jesus? I mean, that, that sounds really disrespectful. That, you're calling a woman a dog who's asking you for some help? That can't be right, can it? Right? It, it, we have to understand this section in context cultural context, and even more importantly, the context of the rest of Scripture. Now, what is happening here? What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus saying? What do we learn about Jesus and who he is and how he works here? We need the context to, to fully understand these things that might cause us questions and raise our eyebrows and say, What? Jesus has withdrawn to this area up, up north of Israel, kind of on the border of 
current day Israel at Jesus' time and uh, the, the country above, Phoenicia. This area of Tyre and Sidon, it's called. And it says that he withdraws, and, and this account is recorded in one other gospel. It's in the gospel of Mark, chapter 7. And there, Mark says that they, he went into a house and he was seeking solitude. He just needed some time alone. You see, a lot has happened leading up to this. Uh, two weeks ago in our sermon, you know, we talked about the, the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus was, was going away to a solitary place, but the crowds had followed him. And there we, we saw that the reason he was seeking solitude then, and really the same reason he is here, is John the Baptist has just been beheaded. His cousin, his friend, his forerunner, and it's weighing on Jesus. The, the, the pressure is mounting from his enemies, from the Pharisees. It's getting more and more intense, and it's starting to weigh on Jesus. We see Jesus' humanity, that while he is true God, he's also true man, and, and these earthly struggles are weighing on him. So he's seeking solitude. He goes up to this, what he, you know, this remote area where maybe, you know, here I can get away from the crowds, but, but they know who he is there too. And, and Matthew points out one specific person who wants to see Jesus and wants help from Jesus. And Matthew was led by the Holy Spirit to refer to her as a Canaanite woman. A Canaanite woman. That, that, that name Canaanite is really loaded. Because as a Jew hearing that, you would think back, all the way back to when their ancestors came into that promised land under Moses, and who did they have to drive out uh, with, you know, with, jo with uh, Joshua at the helm? The Canaanites. Those wicked, evil people that were living in that land. And God had said, drive them all out. Take care of them all. And, and they didn't. And those Canaanites who continued to live in that land of Israel with God's people continued to be a thorn in their side all throughout their history leading them away from the true God, leading them into idolatry, leading them into all sorts of wickedness and evil. And so when Matthew is led by the Spirit to call her a Canaanite woman, a Jew hearing that would say, Ooh, a Canaanite? Ooh. But this Canaanite woman obviously knows who this Jesus is. She calls him Lord. And that's not just master. That is an understanding and a belief that this is God. This is God himself. And she says, you are the son of David, which she has been led by the Holy Spirit to understand that this is the fulfillment of all of those prophecies of the Old Testament, that he is the Messiah. He is that promised son of David who would come to bring a new kingdom to bring peace and righteousness that would last forever. Somehow, this Canaanite woman has come to know this Jesus as Messiah and Lord. And now he is here in her hometown, and she will not leave him alone. She says, have mercy on me. I, I know I don't deserve anything from you. I know that, that it, it's, it's bold of me to even request anything of you, but have mercy on me, not, and not even for me, but my daughter. My daughter who's sick with demon possession. 
There comes an interesting response. It's no response. Jesus did not answer a word. And the sense there in the original is he paid no attention, like he didn't even hear her. Like it just fell on deaf ears. He doesn't say a word or respond in any way. And the disciples finally get so just perturbed that they say, just get her out of here. All right, we came here for some rest and some solitude, Jesus. That's what you need right now. Put this woman away. Just tell her to go. And Jesus responds, which seems to be to his disciples, but loud enough for her to hear, obviously. I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I came for the Jews. And, and the truth is that that is what his primary audience was, was the Jews. He is a Jew. He comes to his people to reveal himself to be the Messiah they have been waiting for. The first group that he did come for was those Jews. That's where he did most of his ministry. And what he says is not really untrue. But she won't give up. She comes and she kneels in front of him. So far, she's just been following after him. Now she probably gets down right in front of him and, and hanging on his, on his cloak and saying, Lord, help me. She will not give up. She will not stop. And then... Then he seems to take this in a whole different direction, says, I can't take the bread that's supposed to be for the children and give it to the dogs. Seemingly calling her a dog. You know, the, the, the children who the bread is for is, is those Jews that he, that he is doing his ministry among. And here, this, this lady, who are you to be asking me for anything? It, it's not for you. And her response, she says to, to, to God, she says to the Lord, the son of David, that bread, yes, it is, Lord. It is for me, too. It is for me. And she draws on that illustration Jesus uses, and she says, even the dogs will get the crumbs that fall. And Jesus, for only the second time in his ministry, is amazed by somebody's faith. You have great faith, woman. Your request is granted. And it seems like the, the demon-possessed daughter is not even there, but at that moment, that girl is healed. This account here shows us how Jesus works and what he came for. There's so much we can learn when we understand the context and, and read between the lines of what's all happening here. So what is Jesus doing here? What does this teach us about how Jesus works? Well, here Jesus is doing what he always does. He's loving. He is serving. He is teaching. He's doing what his entire ministry was all about, proclaiming the kingdom of God and how God works in people's lives, how the gospel works. What's he doing here? Well, as God, Jesus knows what's in that woman's heart. It seems like he's ignoring her at first. It seems like he's putting her off and even insulting her, but, but he knows her heart. He can see right in and see the faith that has been created there. He knows that this is a true believer in me as, as her Savior. And so he's testing her. He's growing her faith. And you see it 
He recognizes it. He proclaims it. Woman, you have great faith because he knows what's inside of her heart. He knows what is prompting her request. What is Jesus doing here? Maybe most importantly, he's teaching his disciples and you and me. Maybe even more important than the miracle or the testing of this woman's faith is, is what does this teach the rest of us? You know, the disciples were, were just, just done with her. And probably more than just the reason that they were tired and they wanted Jesus to get some rest. You see, this was a woman. And, and in their perspective, in their cultural context, she had no right to be coming to Jesus and, and, and begging of him and pleading from him. Know your place, they might have thought to themselves. And she's a Canaanite. What do you have to do with Jesus? Who are you? You're our enemy. We want nothing to do with you. And then she's got a demon-possessed daughter. And in the cultural context, if you had some issues like that in your family, if there was sickness or, or you're paralyzed or you had like a demon possession in your family, there was this false belief that something you did caused that. Some sort of sin. Maybe you're living your life apart from God and so now he's punishing you by giving this to you in your life. So they're just racking up the reasons on why this woman should just go away. That they thought in their mind that Jesus isn't for her. We would never do that, would we? Would we? I mean, do we treat people differently? And, and, and maybe we wouldn't say it outrightly, and, and maybe we wouldn't even think it consciously, but, but this idea that God's grace is just for some and not for all. When you're standing here in the back of church, talking with your friends and someone walks in that looks very, very different than you. Whatever that might be. Or maybe there's a smell on their breath. Or you can tell that there's something off with this person. What is it? A, a turn of the shoulder away from them? and Please don't make eye contact with me. I, is God's grace not for that person? as they walk into these doors? What about those people who have opposing worldviews from you? Or different political views than you? I mean, be honest, how easy it is for us to, to, for those things to become the forefront, the first thing in our minds as we look at somebody. And that is how we judge them, and that is how we label them. That's how we treat them. Oh, they're a so-and-so. Oh, they believe that. And God's grace for them is shoved to the background, and that's not even a thought. That, hey, Jesus died for them too. Maybe people who are of other religions. Now, we, we live in an area that is 
heavily LDS? Do, do we look at them and say, they don't know it, they don't care, they got their own thing, God's grace is really not for them? Why should we do anything about it? Maybe it's the, the atheist, your neighbor or a co-worker, or maybe a family member who is outright just says there is no God and I don't want anything to do with a God. You say, fine, whatever. <laughs> You're left to your own demise. In a sense, are we saying God's grace isn't really for them too? If we don't care about their eternal salvation, their, et their eternal welfare. How about a little more personally? What about someone who's hurt you? Someone who has wronged you badly. And you have decided that, that you will not forgive them. That God's mercy and grace really isn't for them. Because they've hurt you too badly. I mean, can we identify with the disciples here this morning just a little bit? on how easy it is for us to fall into that thought that Jesus really isn't for them. There isn't a single person on this planet right now that Jesus did not die for. There is not a single person that God doesn't want to know his love. Dear friends, God's grace is for all. And I hope you realize what an important thing that is for you personally. Because if God's grace is for all, that means it's for you too. That you're not left out either. That you don't ever have to wonder, does God love me? You don't ever have to question, are my sins paid for at that cross? You don't ever have to wonder at all because God's grace is for all. And that includes you. And when you know that, when you know that I don't deserve God's grace, that's the definition of what grace is. It's God's undeserved, unforced, unasked, unconditional love that he shows just because he is who he is and nothing to do with me that you can really begin to appreciate what good news this is. A good, good news that is not just for you, but good news that is meant for all people. Because you know deep down that the only difference between you and them and whatever the, 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 the people that you label as them is, there's no difference between either of you except that you've come to know that grace and trust in that grace and hold on to that grace. That's the only difference. Because the Bible clearly teaches that all fall short. All fall short of that glory of God. All sin. No one is righteous. Not even one. We're all in the same boat. We all need God's grace. And thank God that that grace is for all in that boat. Every one of us. In this picture that Jesus uses here, of the crumbs at the table. 
In the context here, the word that Jesus uses for dog is not the mangy mutt that's scrounging around in the in the garbage trying to find something to eat. This is, this is the dog that the family loves. It's in the house. Sits at the master's feet. Uh, the dog that, that is allowed to get those crumbs that fall from the master's table, and maybe, maybe even the master purposely drops them on the ground so the dog can have some. That's the dog that's being referred to here. So this is not derogatory. Jesus is not saying this to insult her. And she knows that. You can see that from her response. He's showing her and he's showing us that it doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what your background. doesn't matter what you've done. None of that matters. There is room at the table for all. There is enough bread of life, Jesus himself, to go around for an entire world of sinners. There's room at the table for all. There's an invitation for all. And so what do we do? What do we do who we are blessed to to know this grace and to have this grace, who already have a seat at the table, who get to come here and feast on his word and his sacrament, who get to come and open up our Bibles every day and again hear that wonderful grace and that forgiveness and that peace and that life and salvation. Oh, those of us who feast on this bread of life and we have that opportunity daily and we see those who are starving and just looking for crumbs. What do we do? Well, we welcome. We welcome to that table. So when you see someone new walking into this building, and maybe you see someone who, who you normally probably wouldn't talk to this kind of person on the street, at least you think that you wouldn't, you say, welcome. Welcome to the feast. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Welcome. And we're so glad that you can get to hear what your Savior Jesus has done for you. Come. Come and take a seat. What do we do? We invite Every single one of you, I know for a fact, every single one of you has someone in your life who is starving for some crumbs, who would be happy with just a few crumbs, who are seeking peace and hope and forgiveness, who want something greater than just the things of this life, who want purpose for, for not just this life but forever. Invite them to come to the table. There's a place for them too. What do we do? We work hard to reach more people. There are hundreds of thousands in this valley who don't know that grace of God or think they do, but they don't. There are tens of thousands of LDS in our community and many other unbelievers, those of other religions, atheists, We're invited to come to that table too and to find what only can satisfy them, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. What do we do? We generously support missions. Part of our offerings here go to support our church body that that takes this message to many countries in this world, across the globe where you and I can't go. So 
Many more people of every tribe and language and nation and people can know and experience that grace of God and have a seat at that table. What do we do? We pray. We pray, as Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. Bring more people into your kingdom. Bring more people to faith in you. Expand that kingdom, as we heard in that Ephesians lesson. Right? Let that temple continue to grow and grow and grow to your praise and glory as more are brought to faith. What do we do? We get to go and live the gospel. We get to go be forgiving people. We get to go be kind and compassionate people. We get to go and let the light of Christ shine in our hearts, in our words, in our actions, in everything we do and everything we say. To be God's grace to others. So we can share with them what God wants them to have too. There's room at the table. Let's go. Amen.